welcome to the Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. For those who are new, I'm Harvey Asher, a sexaholic. I've been sexually sober 36 years and eight months, one day at a time. Um, Thanks for Malcolm having gotten this going and Daniel to keep it up to date technologically. Uh, We've been able to extend it. It was supposed to be a six week talks and it's being extended a few more. So we'll have a total of 12 of which I read the articles I wrote in the essay over a period of almost 20 years. And then after I read it, I turn it over to you all to ask questions, uh, try to answer them. Uh, If not, I'll make the answer up. Hopefully you won't know the difference, but you know, I still have to work on lying. (laughs) But um, at the end, we will stop on time, but I will leave the meeting open to continue to answer more questions for those who did not have a chance during the time, uh, during the the question period. I usually go right into the readings, but this time I need to share my experience from yesterday. Just one second while I shut the door. My wife is giving a talk in another country in the other room on Zoom, so uh, the noise is coming through. I don't remember these articles until I read them. And I usually wait till the day before to read them. And when I read this article, I said, oh my goodness. I talked about this. I thought it was last week, but it was two weeks ago. And I'm going to seem foolish, that ego of mine repeating something I've already said a few weeks ago, uh, which I thought in my delusional mind was last week, but that was another topic. Uh, But I continued reading it, and it really has a different zap to it. Uh, The other one was concerning these events concerning a process of forgiveness, This article is about carrying the message 
which included a little aspect of that, but not the primary thing. So I'm going to go ahead and begin reading the article that was I wrote in uh, June of 2013, um, soon after I returned from Europe uh, doing some talks. It's called Healing Through Bringing the Message. I am a low-bottom sex drunk who's been sober now for 29 years. Yet today, I'm writing about a most glorious spiritual journey that I only recently made. The purpose of my journey was to bring the message of recovery and the miracle of my sobriety to fellow sexaholics throughout Europe. It's a message of what God, the steps, and the fellowship can bring to our lives. It is a message of how this very ill sexaholic is no longer a slave to lust, resentment, or fear, and can now share this design for living to others around the world. My journey began with an email request from the SA Fellowship in Belgium, asking whether my wife and I could give a weekend workshop in Belgium. The group, with the help of other groups in Europe, said they would take care of our airfare. We agreed. Then suddenly, a voice in my head said, Harvey, as a Jewish man, you have lived with anger and resentment towards the Germans and Polish people concerning the Holocaust. You are now an old man. Are you willing to die with this resentment? Or are you ready to let go and let God release it from you? I immediately knew the answer. I was ready to have the resentment removed. It was the only answer. It was a 12-step answer. I knew it could only be removed through action. And I knew at that moment that I needed to also bring the message of joy of recovery to Germany and Poland. I realized that to really do this from deep within myself, the travel to Germany and Poland had to be at my own expense. I needed to visit these countries for my own recovery. Months went by as I tried to contact people in Germany and Poland. Bit by bit, the month-long journey took form. First, we would go to Antwerp to speak, then on to a weekend workshop outside of Brussels. After that, we would do a step workshop in Amsterdam, and then a workshop in Munich, Germany. From there, we would conduct workshops in both Krakow and Warsaw in Poland. Snow followed us everywhere we went, but so did the love we received. Wherever we went, we met caring and wonderful people. 
we never felt alone. The different groups would set up essay tour guides for us. We were invited to stay at many people's homes. Here I, here I was a low bottom sex drunk in recovery, treated with respect and admiration. My wife was also given much love. I want to share just a few examples of the love and respect we experienced. A man from Belgium, who also lived in Poland part of the year, flew from Belgium to Warsaw to pick us up on Easter weekend. He changed his very important Easter religious plans to make this trip. He wanted to drive us in the snow from Warsaw to Krakow so that we could try to find the towns where my ancestors lived before they emigrated to the United States 122 years ago. He spent the entire weekend with us finding my family's three ancestral towns. For our Passover Seder, we were in Munich and our gracious hosts who were not of our religious background let us have a Seder in their home. They invited six other members from SA and Esnan, also not of our religion, to attend that evening. The 10 of us shared a recovering Seder with our family of choice that night. I will never forget it. It was possibly the best Passover I ever celebrated. In Poland, I learned a new word to use in recovery. They call each other brothers there. They don't say I went to a meeting with some fellowship members. Instead, they say I was with my brothers. When they say it, you clearly hear the love they have for each other. People were willing to inconvenience themselves to be able to put us up in their homes. One member in Warsaw and another in Krakow each spent days walking with us in the snow to show us their cities. One man was willing to spend his afternoon with me at a dentist in Krakow to translate for me when my tooth filling popped out. There was a couple who drove us all around Warsaw to find a pharmacy to help my wife with a foot problem. The stories don't end. These scenarios happen time and again wherever we met our SA and Essanon brothers and sisters. Yes, as we drove toward Munich, we did have an uneasy feeling when we saw a sign for Dachau, the inf infamous concentration camp. And yes, we did have a pensive day visiting Auschwitz and Birkenau the two death camps in Poland. However, nothing was able to dampen the love and care we received from our SA and Essanon families. My life has been significantly changed as a result of this trip. In our German journey, especially to Germany and Poland, God was able to remove from me any resentment I had toward a group of people 
who were not involved with any issues of the Holocaust. In fact, most of the people we met were not even born at that time. Did I get healing? You bet I did. Not only did I get healing from resentment, but from prejudice and from a judging spirit. I saw God again through the love we received from our recovery family. Most of all, I saw God through the love I had for all these fellow sufferers of our disease. God greatly blessed me by allowing me to carry the message that this program does work to so many people. Thank you, Harvey. Um, so as, as is per usual, uh, you can raise your hand in the app uh, by pressing um, the raise hand uh, button when you press participants. If you're calling in, you can press star nine to raise your hand if you have a question for Harvey. And if you want to send me the question privately, um, you can go ahead and send me the question privately and I'll read it to Harvey. Um, Before the qu any question, I do want to give some follow-up. Thank you. Many of those people we met, quite a few from Germany and from Poland, eventually came and stayed with us many times in Nashville, Tennessee. In our home, they lived with us. Where else can this kind of fellowship happen of meeting people from all over the world to get instant connection because we're all the same, a bunch of drunks <laughs> in recovery. Yeah, all for that questions. Right now we don't have any questions. So maybe uh, while we, while we wait, okay, we have a question. Just a very quick question. Thank you, Harvey, first of all, for your unbelievable commitment to this program and to your brothers and sisters around the world. Um, I have just a question, plain old question for me, and that is uh, what's going on in the United States is getting me really riled up. I try to avoid a lot of the news, and I still find it very, very difficult not to hate and not to resent um, especially a certain political group. And I was wondering if you had anything at all to, to put some light on it. Uh, you know, even if I pray for them, it's very hard even to pray for them. I'll be honest with you. Because they're well, so right. I so wrote this this morning, just wrote it, a quote from Sandy Beach. It can book the steps we took. And I wrote it to my AA sponsor and one of my SA sponsees with my take on it. It says, we, the most opinionated people, belong to a fellowship that is not allowed any opinion. No outside issues. So, what a paradox. You know, spirituality lives in the paradox. It lives in the space between words. 
truth is, it's like a symphony. You cannot have a symphony with just notes. You must have space between the notes to produce beautiful music. And with and that space, that emptiness helps produce the beautiful melodies. And this is the paradox. It's not in the words. It's in the silence. And so in our fellowship, we have no opinions on outside issues. And whenever it does happen, it blows up. Yes, that's what happened with the Washington movement. That was, it grew faster and was more successful in the early years than the AA movement was. It took AA longer, but the Washington movement blew up when it started getting into political issues. Um, all I know is even though I'm very opinionated on this subject, I never prayed except one prayer. May God's will be done. May God's will be done. I pray what the big book teaches me to pray. May God's will be done. It's such a load when you get yourself out of the equation. No, that's a lecture statement. When I get myself out of it. What freedom. Next question, please. Um, so we have a question um, saying following, how much time would you recommend I dedicate towards outreach and bringing the message? Um, obviously you guys flew all the way to a difficult place to do that and how much to personal recovery in the steps. Is there a point in your recovery at which you knew it was time to make that shift? It's an interesting question. How much breath do I need? How do I figure out how much I need to breathe? It's an experience. It's not a mental, intellectual, well, if I'm working a good program, for me, it has to bypass intellect. <laughs> Mine bypassed intellect because I'm cheap, I'm stingy. <laughs> I didn't want to spend my own money. <laughs> All this needs to transcend our enemy. Our enemy is my brain. So no, nothing outside can ever damage me more than my own brain. Because my own brain never shuts off. So you can't have any peace from it. All those messages it tells us, all the fears, all the, it's not going my way, it's not this, it's not that. Nope. 
So to get back to the answer, I can't answer it because there are just two of us in Nashville and we had to be willing to pretty well never stop reaching out in Nashville to let it grow because people don't stay. For the most part, people don't stay. My sponsor once said in AA, if, and I might have said it past few weeks, if everyone in AA would stay, there wouldn't be enough churches in America to fit them in meeting rooms. So if you're not always ahead of the curve, 12-stepping, the attrition rate is unbelievable in SA. You know, if I'd leave town for on these trips and once we were brought to Australia, New Zealand, and I leave for a month and you come back to meetings, it's like a new meeting. There are so many new, new faces in the room. So yes, there's never an end for me. And I'm in a retirement center here. We have our own apartment, but we, we eat with other people. And um, I 12-step here all the time. How do I 12-step? By telling them, oh, I have a, a meeting to speak at. <laughs> oh, what good a meeting? Oh, I'm recovering in AA and SA. <laughs> uh, people tend not to ask any more than that. <laughs> and, um, you know, that's it. So I can't give you a number. All I could tell you is sometimes I get exhausted. Sometimes I don't want to answer the phone. But I always do. Or I call back. I have this system that no matter what, I call people back. No matter what. However, ever over the years, I had to go a little deeper in my 12th step and for my wife. And so I shut the phone off at six o'clock at night. There are enough people now, but man, from early in the morning till six at night, wow, am I on the phone or going to meetings? Uh, there is exceptions. When I work and I, I retired finally right as COVID came in, but I did not take calls during my working hours. You know, I returned them that, later that day, but I needed to give an honest day to whoever hires me. And so I would really, um, you know, not take calls. Yes, I go into a zone and lose track of time. And so, you know, there are boundaries, but for the most part, I can't give you an, an answer. What better, if you're not working, what better use is there of time? I'm laughing. Yes, I found a better use of time every evening. 
I watch South Korean soap operas. <laughs> I need to go just brain dead a lot of times. I'm much better off when my brain is not too flipping around. Next question. It's amazing. That's, that is a part of recovery, is letting the brain rest. It's critical for me, I find. Um, we have a, a second question that came in uh, in, the, in, the, in the private chat. Um, you, you've mentioned this story previously, the story that you're talking about here, here in, in your reading. And this person says, to me, it seems obvious to love Germans and Polish people. And it's unrelated to my dad's family's annihilation in the, in the Holocaust. But what if you met someone in SA in Europe who was directly involved in that genocide? How does forgiveness come into place? Which is a little bit touching on last week's and the weeks before. So the same way that it had to come in place about my mother stabbing me with a bread knife. When I was 14 and having to go to the emergency room and get sewed up. What am I referring to? You don't have to forgive anyone if you don't want to. This isn't a religion. This is not a religion. We don't have to do anything. There are no rules in this fellowship. But if I want to stay sober, I better do a whole lot <laughs> concerning my inner world because my inner world is insane. The fantasies I made and the behaviors I had. In this program, I've observed if you don't keep moving ahead, you don't stay where you are. You go backwards. And how does Roy describe it? Through the top plane. Forgiving my mother, forgiving uh, a group of people were not on my top plate when I first came in. My top plate was to stop masturbating. My top plate was to not act out. My top plate was to treat my wife better, uh, you know, on and on. But you take that plate, for those who aren't familiar with the term, when you're in a restaurant and a cafeteria and there's this pack of plates and you take one off, the next one pops up. Take that off, the next one pops up. You don't see the plate underneath until you've cleaned the plate on top. So what I'm sharing now was not my prime concern when I first came into the program. And one of my prime concerns that I had to evolve was first to forgive me. It is through forgiving that we're, for, through forgiving that we're forgiven. You know, we throw stones, 
with the stuff we've done towards other people and we throw stones? The devastation I caused in my family and the venereal diseases I gave my wife and, and I'm this guy who I should be judging everyone. Nonsense for me. My sponsor would say, we, the most tolerated, become the most intolerant. Now, if people can maintain their sobriety and keep doing well and still hate people, my hat goes off to them. This isn't a program about loving certain people or not loving it's a program of how the hell do I stay sober today? And forgiveness was one of those aspects. And let me tell you, we, the phone calls I get from around the world, we have very unforgiving spirits. Maybe that's why Roy talks so much about it. In the big book, you know, we the most tolerated become the most intolerant. And let me tell you, it doesn't have to cross into other people's religions or politics. We hate people we know. If they don't look at us the right way, we'll cop a resentment. Because watch the disease, the next layer under lust, it's resentment and anger. The other drug. So we sober up from lust and we stay drunk on anger. Still intoxicated. And then you ask yourself, gee, why do so many people relapse? In our fellowship, tremendous relapse rate. Well, they think the program's about lust. No, the program's not about lust. The program's about comfort. If you don't get inner peace, you're going to default back into lust. Because our brains are made. Now, I want you to know, I'm going to get a lot of shit from what I've said today. There's an expression in the big book that is startling. Chapter 5, it says we step on the toes of others and they retaliate. But for me to be honest with you, I have to tell you only one thing. My experience, strength and hope. Not what you should do. What I had to do. Because I'm a damn miracle. There's no way I should be alive. I came in the program in 84 when 
we just discovered what AIDS was. I was so promiscuous. There's no way I should be alive. Only explanation is that God needed me to be such a low life drunk, to have such a rough, impossible story that I could say, if it works for me, it could work for anyone. And what works for me? The steps, the big book, the AA book, the 12 and 12, and the um, essay book, and recovery continues. Now, there are other books too that are great, the step books and all, that essay has, but you know, I came in, we only had an AA book. And I don't know for history, a lot of you give me feedback that you like some history. Uh, there was a period that there was so much anger and resentment in SA uh, that Roy uh, had to take the book back from us. And for a year, we couldn't get an essay book in Nashville. You couldn't get them. And then, uh, so I think, so I came in before the essay book was written. Plus in Nashville, there was a, a significant period of time where we couldn't get new essay books. <laughs> then it all passed and things eventually worked its way out. Uh, but everything has history. And if you want to see politics, you can find it right in essay. But we don't get into that because we emphasize tradition one, unity. So someone you're about to act out, you call someone up and they're from Germany. Are you going to say, was your father or grandfather in the German army in the Second World War? Or are you going to say, help save me? I'm dying from my disease. One of the most wonderful experiences of sponsorship I've had in recovery was sponsoring, sponsoring this most beautiful spiritual man I've talked to you about past these past talks. He was a Jesuit priest. What would he say if to let himself have a Jewish sponsor? No, none of that exists in our program. All that exists is our 12th tradition of anonymity. We're a bunch of drunks. We have no Jews or Christians or blacks or whites or rich or poor or doctors or lawyers or workers. We just have drunks. 
That's what keeps us going, what connects us. Some of my deepest, deepest relationships in the world are with people I don't even know their last name at most of the time. This is a spiritual program. There is no spiritual part to this program. It's pure spiritual. And I wish you luck being spiritual and being angry at the same time. It doesn't work for me, let me tell you. <laughs> Next question. Yes, yeah, so we have a few that have piled up now, so we might have to go a little bit uh, quicker in the answers. And reminder to keep the questions related to, 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 to today's reading about bringing the message forwards. And uh, go ahead, Dennis. Hi, guys. Uh, my name is Dennis, gratefully recovering sexaholic. Um, I've taken so much from the program and learned so much. And now I'm trying to give back through sponsorship and service but I need to surrender my ego. Harvey, my question to you is, as you spread the message, when and if your ego came in, how did you recognize it and how did you deal with it? God, it, it, that's such a great question because you're gonna let me remember what I want to start, introduce myself with. When, hey, Connell. When I read this article yesterday and I started to cry, I'm reading my own article, I'm crying. I mean, you talk about insanity and I'm crying. Why? Because I experienced the prayer, the 11th step prayer. We're vessels. We're vessels. I'm just a channel. My, my being Harvey or ego is not what, how the hell am I talking to you? I don't have notes. I just, I just let myself be a channel for what why I did the third step prayer on my knees this morning. You give the day to God and everything that day is the way it's supposed to be. And everything seems when you leave yourself open, then a sponsee will say to me, oh, I just read this or saw this, and I'll go find the book and discover something unbelievable. You know, Dennis reminds me, I, I, whenever I'm in the city from Nashville to New York City, I go down to the lower Manhattan uh, meetings. And I met a man there, and, and Dennis goes, <laughs> and this man over the years I met, and just twice a year, once a year, I'd see him a few times. After years, 
he handed me a book with big cellophane wrapper. Big, fat book. <laughs> and I said, oh, crap. What do I do with this? I don't want to read this book. <laughs> Who knows what it is? And, you know, I'm always thinking people are trying to convert me or push me or do something. I'm paranoid. <laughs> I took the book, thanked him. I unwrapped it that evening, started reading a little. My entire life changed. It was a book about the inner self. Who I am. What am I? What am I? I'm not my angers, my fears, my prejudices, and my bias, and my opinion. The big book says it. And many of our religions say it. Our big book says that God is everything or he's nothing. Well, I accept it's everything. So my I am is God. And all I have to do is get the hell out of the way, which is so damn hard to do. And without the steps, I can't get out of the way. I can't let go. God, I get intense, don't I? <laughs> my, my wife has learned to just, we were talking yesterday at the dinner table, we're sitting with some people, and Nancy said, Harvey, people don't want to talk this deep. Just cut it out. She stops me. I get so passionate. <laughs> oh, well, but okay. Next Go ahead, Carl. Go ahead, Carl. You're still muted, Carl. Sorry. Hi. Thanks a lot. Great to hear you, Harvey, and uh, bring back some happy memories of uh, Poland. And um, yeah, Poland was fantastic. And uh, just just to be there with you, Nancy. And um, <clears throat> what is contagious is your passion for recovery. I think that's the one thing that, like, it just it's. Um, it's like a force, you know, it just pops out your eyes. <laughs> I feel it, feel it down the zoom here. Um, and it, it's, you know, it's, um, it's contagious. And, uh, so I just want to thank you for that and for, for, you know, coming over to Europe all those times and coming to visit us. And, uh, we've had so many memorable, happy times where we just ended up laughing. And I think that's the most thing that really helped me a lot once was when, um, uh, when I phoned you up and uh, you said, uh, I said I was, uh, you know, I had some problems with lust and you said, uh, I don't know what that is. <laughs> and um, I was started sweating. I just started sweating. Like I could feel the sweat just coming out of my forehead. And, um, you know, so you really put me on the spot. And uh, at the same time, I was thinking about, I don't know, 
probably penises or genitals or same sex ideas or something. Um, and, and I just, when I said it, I just, I felt just lighter when I put the phone down. It was like, I, you know, I'd lost 10 kgs in weight when I put the phone down and, um, it's, you know, it is a powerful program, like just to be able to laugh about the intensity of the disease, you know, um, it's so good to lighten up because I am so crazy. My head is absolutely nuts with this stuff. You know, my, my mind tells me acting out is a good idea. It's a really good idea. You need to do it today. I need, I need, I'm, it's, it's a great idea, Carl. It's the best idea you've had all day. You know, let's get some secret sex going on, you know, um, hook up with somebody somewhere, um, and it's it's going to kill me. So, um, you know, I just want to thank you for being there and for um, sharing. I'm sorry I missed some of the talks. I've been busy at work, but it's great to hear you, Harvey. Thanks. Thank you. Uh, Carl, um, I want to tell some stories um, about my program. Carl asked Nancy and me to come to do a talk in, in uh, Western Ireland. And we went, but I had to say to him, I cannot come if there's not a private bathroom. <laughs> because part of my sobriety definition is I cannot go into a public shower room. <laughs> and man, did I want to go to Ireland. <laughs> I really wanted to go, but I was willing to let go of the trip. And everyone stayed at the convent. And Nancy and I stayed in a B&B. Um, just all kinds of, of ways that I've had to learn to protect myself. I want to tell you the story of Belgium. Many of you are new and you might not have heard it. We were invited to Belgium to give that talk before we went to Germany and Poland. And it was in a convent. And they were little cubicles, tiny little rooms. And there was, it was bitter cold in the snowstorm. And they gave me a blanket that was wool. Nancy was in the another little park next to my area. And I'm allergic to wool. So I couldn't cover myself with a blanket. And it was jet lag. We had just arrived in Europe. And I could not fall asleep. And early the next morning was my first talk, like at nine o'clock in the morning. And I couldn't sleep. And it, all of a sudden, as I'm laying there, cold, I heard this loving, beautiful, caring voice so loud in my head. That was 2013. I had 26 years sobriety about that time. Or no one. I don't I can't figure that right now. But this beautiful voice said, Harvey, if you masturbate now, 
you'll be able to go to sleep. This, if you don't masturbate, you'll be so agitated tomorrow morning, you won't give a good talk. <laughs> I jumped out of bed. I went into my wife's room, this little cot. I said, honey, can I lay with you? Because I just heard a voice to masturbate telling me it won't let put me to sleep. Well, at breakfast, the next morning I say to Nancy, I gotta get the hell out of this place. I can't sleep here. I gotta get the hell out. She said, you can't do that. They brought you from America. <laughs> you can't just leave. <laughs> and I said, I'm not sleeping here. It's too dangerous for me. I, I said, I'm going to tell the guy who brought me here. Nancy said, no, that's not polite. And the heck with what my wife said. I went up to the guy and I told him the story and he said, okay. I said, I'll pay for it myself. I thought they ended up paying for it, I think. But they put me in a motel where it was warm. And in that, and what did I speak about that morning? My beginning of my talk seven years ago. It was about how this is an incurable disease and it's always waiting patiently. And how if I don't take care of me, it won't because it lies to me through truth. See, the truth was if you don't sleep tonight, you won't be able to speak as easily. But the lie was, but how can you speak at all? You won't be sober. And what happened by going to that motel? That hotel? At breakfast the next morning. And Jude, I hope you check me out as I make these stories up sometimes. But I met <laughs> Jude at breakfast at that hotel. And I've sponsored him probably ever since. It's all God. And don't try to figure it out. It cannot be figured out. You could just see it retroactively, retrospectively. When you look back, you see it all. But I can't see it while it's happening. And I can't see it for the future. But when you look back, you say, oh, goodness. Wow. And that's the spiritual awakening. Seeing what we could not see before. Next question. Go ahead, Elia, please. Oh, and I forgot, oh. we've stayed at Carl's home 
We know his wife, his children. They would meet us. We'd speak in England and he'd come with his family to England. And we went to Poland and he flew to Poland with his family. This is my family of choice, my spiritual family. We talk about messianic ages. This is the closest thing we're going to know today. How we all connect, we, we become unified as a group, as soulmates. Jess would say, we're not friends, we're spiritual friends. Very different type of relationship. We're connected through our imperfections. What a gift. Go ahead, Ilya. Uh, okay, the, the question that you wanted to ask is, at what point in your recovery did you start spreading the message? I guess day two or three or four or five. We start announcing it at AA meetings. That's where we got most of the people that first year from AA. And then the first few months, I just carried pamphlets with me and gave them out. So I worked at this hospital and um, all of a sudden this guy comes up to me a, a guard, a security guard, and I had had sex with him various times. He was really a male hustler. And one day he came up to me and I handed him a brochure. <laughs> I just handed him the brochure. Instead, like I talked last week or whenever I think it talks to me into connecting. But I haven't changed. Before recovery, I seduce people for sex. Once I got in recovery, I'm a seducer. I seduce people for recovery. That's what the 12 and 12 is telling us. These are gifts I have. I'm a seducer. I could either use that gift to pull you in for things based on my uh, uh, sick addiction or pull you in for recovery. Okay, go ahead, Yumi. Yumi, you're muted. Um, a second, sorry. Yeah, I just wanted to ask about uh, step four. First of all, uh, thank you so much, Harvey, for all these years of getting I'm not hearing you so great, Yumi. Can you stay in the same place? 
No, we're not hearing you. Hey, Chaim. Hey, you. No. <laughs> no, not yet. Is that, is that enough? Chaim's in the house. Chaim and Mayor. Look at that. Beautiful. Go ahead. Try one more time, Yumi. What's your question? Oh, yeah. Look at it, guys. Yeah. What's your question? No, we lost him. We'll get back to him. Shia, go ahead, Shia. Hi, Harvey. Again, I really, really appreciate it. I wish, I, I wish, I wish it could be for, for the whole year. Every Wednesday, we should have something like this. It could be, it could, it could be a very good idea. The question is only if, if you, if, if you would have time for it. Uh, it, it gives me a lot of strength, a lot of hope. Um, my question is like this. It's actually, I don't have a question. I should just, I want to add. Uh, the way that you told before that it's or we give it and the addiction and introduce people into addiction or introduce people into 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 going going to meetings into recovery. The way that I use it now, I use also to to have a lot of a lot of um, sex outside. I um, mean, a lot of uh, you know everything acting out, uh, and, and 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 I'm also I'm. I'm I'm actually a salesman, so a sales pitch. I have very, I'm very strong in business. I could, I could approach people, the highest people. I could, I could knock in doors like crazy, crazy. The same thing in addiction. Same thing now. What I'm doing is in recovery. I, I gave up my business most of the day. I'm only working maybe an hour and a half a day, and just checking emails, do there and phone calls a little bit. But I'm going. I'm running to meetings. I'm addicted to meetings. I'm addicted to phone calls. And it saved me last week, Friday, the internet almost, almost, because I took in some loss from a, from a certain place that I, that I used to go and I used to act out there. And just in a 10 seconds, in 10 seconds of a second look, if I didn't go out from that place, running out and then making phone calls, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't stay sober. I would, I would really act out. So it's, 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 a, it's a real program, a 24-7 program. And as long as I'm going to give, I'm going to give, you know, I'm picking up, I'm available to, pick up phone calls, I do phone calls, I receive phone calls, and it helps me a lot. So I really appreciate it. Whatever you do, you're really my, my, an example, and it, it gives me a lot of courage to people also that are that even the struggling in the program. They have a chance. Once they have a spiritual awakening and they're working the program, the right way, the big book, the white book, the doctor's opinion, and listening to sponsors and sit with the sponsor and do step forward. So it's a really, really, it's a lovely program. It's an unbelievable program. None of my therapists spent millions of, over a million dollars of therapists. None, every, the therapists that pushed me through the program, I still, I still believe in them. There was one guy who told me, nah, 12 step doesn't work. I called him up a couple of weeks ago. I told him, you're a liar. It didn't work because I didn't work it. Once I start working it, it works. So I really told him, he locked that down the phone. I mean, he told me, no, no. I, don't believe, I told him, you don't have to believe in it. Come to the rooms, you're going to see. It's miracles. It's miracles when it's happening. I see miracles in my life. I see miracles. Thank you. It's an unbelievable you. program. I just have to keep working. Thank you. Thank you, Shia. Shia brings up a very important point. I'm 81. I'm going to be dead in the near future. You know, I've said this before, we make God finite by thinking we understand God, and we make ourselves infinite, thinking we'll never die. 
Well, that's not what life's about. We're born to die. Gods in birth, gods in death, it's all part of our natural cycle. So what's she referring to? It's passing it on. It just can't be a harvest. And luckily, there are so many other people. And, you know, I, I often say I, I have a sponsee in Germany for years now, and I say, hey, you're, I said it to him just yesterday, I think, you're passing on what Cherry passed to me, my sponsor, passed to me, we're just vessels. My sponsor would say he got it from his sponsor and his sponsor got it from his sponsor and his sponsor got it from his sponsor and his sponsor got it from Bill W and Bill W got it from God. This is a spiritual happening and we merely pass it on. I knew my sponsor's story in SA as well as I knew my story. And I tell his story. We incorporate, we bring into ourselves other people's stories and it all becomes one. And then we pass it on. The 11th step prayer says it. We, we, we died an everlasting life. These messages are being passed on year after year through all of us as vessels. And how do we become vessels? Very difficult thing it tells us in the first five paragraphs of chapter five in the AA book. One thing it says, is we had to let go of our old ideas. It doesn't say our old religion or our old country, our old ideas. And through the 11th step, we learned mindfulness where we could see and ask ourselves, where did this thought come from? Who put it in there? Do I want it? Yes, I do. I like that one. No, but that one doesn't make sense anymore. And so much my sponsor had to bring in to my life to bring out that, Harvey, that's not religion, what you're talking about now. That's superstition. If you do this, this terrible thing's going to happen. And I just had that happen to me. Before this meeting started, these messages never end. But I'm aware of it. I was getting a glass of water. And then I had this little glass. And I said, maybe it's not good to take the little glass, because I always take the big glass. And maybe if I take the little glass, I'll get dry mouth or something. It won't work. And I heard my sponsor's voice from 30 years ago saying, there's that superstition again, magic thinking, magic thinking. 
where I could control everything by control. So here's my little glass, see? I said the hell with it, I'm gonna use a little glass. So it's Coca-Cola on it actually. Okay, our time's up. Next week, I think it's gonna be the fungus of the mind. And it's based on my experience going to a prison of visiting someone to do 12 step work in a prison. And that's going to be the article for next week. And um, hey, Mayor, and one day at a time, I'm going to uh, ask you to do some deep breathing, exhale, and then we will close with a serenity prayer, and then we will leave it open um, for some more questions for anyone who wants to stay longer. Let's start breathing. Deep inhale and a deep exhale. <sighs> serenity prayer. Bob. Uh, God, grant me the serenity. Uh, 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 and they, they keep they keep coming back, so maybe there's a quintessential answer here. I don't know, but basically, we're dealing with very, very strong, powerful resentments. Whether it's to the meeting, uh, whether it's to um, people in, uh, you know, teachers, whatever it is, and it's related to this because this is where the story began, going back to Germany. How can these people overcome these deep-seated resentments? And and you, you always go back to the fact that I have no chance. It's going to kill me. I'm, I'm just going to end up acting out. And to act out is just going to, it's just, that's an unbearable life. But maybe there's a process or, I mean, you know, something, because it keeps coming back these questions, this, these resentments that they just can't shake. They can't rid of them. And these are very similar people who have it towards their own parents, to the siblings, to their teachers. Um, it's their next addiction, the anger and resentment. So what is the process of forgiving? I just read it in a book the other day. It's you can't forgive. There's no way to say, I'm going to forgive. What happens is you let go of resentment to revisit the anger. 
So they interviewed this woman whose uh, son was murdered by this by someone, you know, a roadside murder or some fluky thing a few years ago. And they said, how will you? She said she forgave the man. And they said, how did you do it? And she said, I stopped revisiting the anger. That's what resentment means, to revisit, to bring it back. Now, mark my words. If you don't learn some of these techniques, it doesn't stop at anger. <laughs> it goes right to lust. You keep revisiting the lust. So what's the 18-wheeler about in the essay book? It's tools to help us block the first thought. Once the first thought comes in, it blocks the next thought. So we don't end up revisiting it. And eventually the lust goes. And statistically, I haven't done this to ask people, but from all the people I know, people with long, long-term sobriety, you, you won't hear them talk a whole lot about resentments. It just isn't as big an issue anymore. Why? The person still injured them, hurt them, did something. It's because they're more mindful. And they're saying, oh, there's that thought again. And then using a tool to stop the thought from recurring. Jess said it a beautiful way. You could always outpray the thought. So if it comes in 20 times, you could do it 25 times. <laughs> and one of my sponsors this morning sent me a lovely writings of someone from like 300 years ago who wrote about how these thoughts come in, but how you don't have to keep revisiting them. You take the action. You take action. You call someone up. You go help someone. You do something. You get out of self. Or don't. By the way, it's no sweat off anyone's back in this program. You want to keep hurting? Keep hurting. You want to keep lusting? Keep lusting. God's going to love you anyway. There's nothing you could do to get God to stop loving you. You're not going to love you. It's nothing to do with God. It has to do with us. We don't love ourselves. Bye, Drew. Next question. 
Uh, does anyone have a question? You can go ahead and unmute yourself if you have a question for Harvey. Go ahead, Mitch. Hey, Harvey. Hey, Harvey. Uh, sorry, I'm off camera, but uh, they just told me they're coming to paint my room, so I got to get out of here. But uh, you just said that um, God will always love you. I, I This is partially tongue-in-cheek, but I'm really curious. You know, you tell me all the time, what if God doesn't exist? Um, I always find myself telling my sponsees and other people, you know, I, I don't believe in a God that I, I can't believe in a God that wouldn't love me no matter what, because otherwise it doesn't seem like that makes that's God. Um, I'm just curious, you know, how do you at the same time on, you know, say, I don't really know that God exists, but God always loves you. I don't have any thoughts about that. Yes. The more I block the thought of God's existence, the more I'm able to experience God. It becomes less of an intellectual experience and becomes a more unity experience. Now, someone at dinner last night said, what's beyond the universe? <laughs> what's beyond the universe and I had no answer and while meditating you know I thought about God's beyond the universe now what does that mean he's a form, he's there he's a big giant <laughs> no love the universe is always expanding, creating when we think of God as a creating force, a love force. Something we can't even fathom. Pure love. What does it even mean? Um, this is a very tough question because God of my understanding keeps changing, Mitch. Over the 36 years or 37 in AA, I, I keep getting new awakenings, awareness. So I can't talk for anyone else. I could just tell you my experience that um, I don't understand any of it. <laughs> Except there's nothing else. But it. And someone wrote me something last week. I don't know if they were annoyed at what I said or what, but there's a term called monism. It's a little different than monotheism. Monism. It's that everything is God. Reality. And there's an author who writes a lot of recovery books. Um, and he, he interchanges the word God with the word reality. Because my thinking really isn't reality. My thinking is perception. One of one of the few realities I experience, breath. Everything else is perception what my mind creates, or what I've been taught to think. 
And what happens in breath? And what is this that makes our body, our heartbeats, the electrical forces, all these forces, gravitational gravitation, all this stuff? I don't have to figure it out. All I have to do is. <sighs> what relief? This, I'm trying to figure it out with a brain that kept giving my wife venereal diseases. <laughs> this sanitary guy like I am. Yes. My hygiene went out the window. Don't think, don't drink and go to meetings. Thanks, Harry. Thank you. Beautiful answer. Uh, there was a couple of questions that were referring before back to you, you, you talking about uh, the brain just being broken forever i don't know i mean you know like ask you know the the question that comes up saying you know after 30 x years in recovery you you know is your brain never going to go back to normal my brain is not normal why do <laughs> i need all these meetings if i were cured why do i need to take medicine every day well meaning you all and reading and all. It's an incurable disease. I'll die with it. It's just not active now. But it, so my blood pressure is fine. If I took my pressure now, it's normal. It was super normal a few weeks ago. But let me stop taking my high blood pressure pill. In about six weeks, it's going to be elevated again. This disease hasn't gone away. Daniel, thank you for bringing it, that up. This is one of those things people cannot get in the program. I talked about it last week and the week before. We have been so programmed to think we're bad getting good, not sick getting well. We have been so programmed on this sin model that it's very difficult to grasp that this is a illness, a damage in the brain that requires certain medication. By the way, this medicine isn't strong enough for some people in the program. They actually need now tracked, you know, other types of pills. They I get calls that they're taking. Some people need to get the female hormones if they're males to lower their drive. We're not normal people. Normal people can clean up their act by going to church or synagogue or to the mosque by talking to clergy or psychologists, not us.
I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening, and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.